And um, it's good to be part of a family, isn't it? The blessing that that is. Um, I'm, uh, I'm married to Alona. We have four children um, who are all girls. Yes. <laughs> yes. Range, a range of ages. And, um, but we do have a dog called Casper, uh, who is a boy. So I'm not entirely left out. It's great. You might think that uh, looking at a passage like Acts chapter 9 on Pentecost Sunday might be a bit of a strange thing to do. It's not your typical Pentecost Sunday Bible passage. But I think it has a lot to say to us on a day like Pentecost Sunday uh, about how we go as Christians about our everyday lives. How we live in what you might call the in-between. The in-between time between the Holy Spirit coming and when Jesus will return to bring completion to his kingdom. Which in his wisdom and grace, he has called us to participate in the building of. Isn't that good? That in the in-between, the Holy Spirit coming, Jesus ascended to be with his Father, his right hand, the Father's right hand. The sending of the Holy Spirit, he says he will come again to bring to fulfilment everything. And in the midst of that, in the in-between of that, we get to play. We get to play at the building of the kingdom of Jesus. And it gets better. It gets better than that. We don't get to do it on our own. We get to do it with each other. We get to build the kingdom of Jesus with brothers and sisters in Christ, in a family that are there to encourage us, support us, release us, enable us, equip us, envision us for getting on and building that kingdom. And you know what? It gets even better than that. Because not only do we get to build the kingdom of Jesus, and not only do we get to do that with our brothers and sisters in Christ, in a family, we get to do it empowered by God himself, the Holy Spirit, come to release us and empower us to delight and enjoy building the kingdom of Jesus. It's a great thing. It's a great picture that we can hold on to, grasp onto, in the midst of all that happens around us. Because, you know, life is tough, isn't it? Life is hard. Stuff happens. It's a bit rubbish sometimes. And we think, what's this all about? What's happening? Why is it that this is happening? Or I'm suffering in this way, or I'm finding this particular thing difficult. Stuff happens, and in the midst of that, God says, I'm building my kingdom. And you get to participate. You get to play. And not on your own, with your brothers and sisters in Christ, and with me, dwelling in your midst, both as individuals and as a church community, and church communities throughout the world. He comes in our midst to empower, equip, release us for that task but we do know that stuff happens and that's what 
this scripture here in Acts chapter 9 shows us. The church, it says in verse 31, throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened, encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. Wouldn't it be great if that was the picture of the church all the time? Wouldn't it be great if that was, you know, throughout church history, that had been the story of God's church? If that had been the story of every individual Christian's life? It's all good. I'm fruitful. I'm flourishing. I've got no problems. It's all going well. Doesn't ring true, does it? It's not reality for our lives. But this was where the church at this particular time and place found itself. Saul, or Paul as he would become, has been converted on that dramatic Damascus Road experience and then he's turned up in Jerusalem and the church in Jerusalem, unsurprisingly, have gone, whoa, wait a minute, (laughs) you're Saul, we're not having you here. Uh, you have been going around persecuting us, killing us. We're not having anything to do with you. And then, fortunately, Barnabas comes along and says, actually, it's okay. It's okay. I know I can vouch for this guy. I know that he's come to know the Lord Jesus, that he's been transformed, radically transformed, reborn into a completely new way of life. He was the persecutor of persecutors previously. But now he is a son of God, a child of God, an ambassador for the king of kings with the fragrance of Christ rather than death, the fragrance of Christ in him now. And it seems that the church in Jerusalem got hold of this. They welcomed him, him and he stayed with them and we moved freely about Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. And many came to Christ because of this. But the church had started to spread out by this point yeah, and other places knew the Lord Jesus. They'd been in, uh, come into a living relationship with him. Uh, and it says, as Peter travelled throughout the country, he went f- to visit the saints in Lydda. And there he found a man named Ananias, a paralytic who'd been bedridden for eight years. So it's not all roses. It's not all as the church would want it be. Not everybody's been healed. Not everybody is okay. Here is a guy, Ananias, who's been struck down for eight years, confined to his bed. Can't have been nice, can it? Must have been tough. And perhaps he'd wanted to, he'd come to know the Lord Jesus. Perhaps somebody had visited him in his bed and told him about Jesus. And perhaps he wanted to follow Jesus, but he, he had this, whatever it was that was striking him down, that was confining him to his bed. 
and I'm sure that we can identify in ourselves stuff that confines us, holds us back, stops us from doing what we would like to do, what we feel perhaps we're called to do. Stuff that stops us from living in enjoying God and delighting in all his ways. It might be physical, it might be emotional, it might be mental. That's the reality for all of us as fallen people, as people who are in the world and have to deal with all that the world throws at us. I want to read you a story. It was Monday morning, February, and very cold. Judith arrived at school to discover that the heating had broken and several hundred children were about to arrive on a very cold February Monday morning. She was the head teacher and there was already plenty in her diary before the boiler broke. But that's how her day began. Figuring out a way to get enough heat into the school so that she could open it and fast. And her day ended with a very angry child making things very difficult. A troublesome child who'd been troublesome rather too often before. And in fact, on this day, he'd done something that was unbelievably bad. So, reluctantly, she found herself having to exclude him. It was, it's not something that any head teacher likes to do. And that was how her day ended. Not the best of days. But when she got home, after really what was rather a grim day, after a day that she might well have been justified in having a mega whinge about, or soothing herself with a glass or two of wine, or a large double tub of quadruple chocolate ice cream, something strange happened. As she put it, I found myself thanking God for trusting me with all that had happened that day. God trusts us with participating in his kingdom every day. Even in the grim stuff. Even in the stuff that's really rubbish. God trusts us enough to say, come on, let's participate. You participate with me. Let's get on with the building of my kingdom in the particular place, at the particular time that God has called you to do that. It might not be that grand. It might not be so grand as uh, that experience of Peter who says to Ananias, uh, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up, take care of your mat. Merely, Ananias got up. It might not be so grand as that, but that's what Peter was doing. He was saying, in the midst of all that life has, both good and bad, I'll get on with participating with you, Jesus, in the building of your kingdom, in the place that you've put me.
in the power of the Holy Spirit with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And then it says that in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha who was always doing good and helping the poor. He was a saint. He was a fruitful disciple of Jesus. She was getting on with the things that God had given her to do. And notice what it is that she was doing. She was doing good and helping the poor. And that should shape our understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Christ, what it means to be a fruitful disciple of Jesus. That there is something and always should be something about us in our discipleship that is about doing good and helping the poor. When you think about your discipleship, is it so shaped in that direction? That you're thinking to yourself, Lord, where is it that I need to bring your goodness, a fruit of the Spirit, the goodness of God? Where is it that I need to bring your goodness? Where are the poor amongst us? That's the physically poor, yes. It's the, it's the, the poor in spirit as well. Where are they, Lord? Where are they? Show me so that I can go to them. So she's a fruitful disciple, but then she gets sick and dies. That's rubbish. We don't want that to happen to people, particularly people that we think, you know, they're doing such good work for the Lord. They're getting on and being great, fruitful disciples. And then they get sick and they die. What's that about, Lord? Why is that happening? And we do realise, don't we, that we live in a broken and sinful world. And that brokenness and sinfulness means that it affects us, our physical beings, as people. It affects the wider fabric of our world. And we will die at some point, won't we? Our bodies will fade, even though we are born again to life in Christ, both now and for all eternity. Physically, we will die. We will have to face that. We're not against that. We don't recognise that that happens. And look at what those around her do, around Tabitha, do when she dies. They treat her with dignity and with love. They cherish all that she has meant to them as a community. They wash her body and place it in an upstairs room. That's important. We'll come back to that in a minute. And they know, though, that this community, this community knows that, that Peter, an apostle of Jesus, somebody who'd known Jesus was nearby at this particular time, and so they send for him. And so Peter comes, and he went to this upstairs room, and all the widows were standing around her, crying and showing the robes 
and the other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with him. They were, look, Peter, here was a fruitful disciple. Here was somebody who did good, who served the poor. We loved her. We cherished her. We grieved that she's now not with us. It's a great lesson for us as church community. When things die, what do we do? When people die, what do we do? Do we cherish all that they have meant to us? Do we celebrate all that they were in Christ Jesus? Do we say, look, look what they did, look what they created, look how they served, look how they did good and served the poor? Do we point those things out and celebrate those things that a particular person has done? It's a great lesson for the church of what it means to be brothers and sisters in Christ. Whether that be that somebody has physically died, or whether they're they're moving on to some other place, the Holy Spirit calls us to celebrate that, to celebrate the good that they've done, what they've created amongst us as a people. And Peter says to these widows, just, just leave me alone. Just leave us alone for a few minutes. He sent them out of the room. And then he got down on his knees and he prayed. That should be the posture for us as Christians in tough times, in difficult circumstances. What should be our posture should be to humble ourselves and submit ourselves in earnest prayer before God. To cry out to him and say, God, not my will be done, but yours. Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in this place. Because it's in that submission, in that posture, the Holy Spirit is able to work in us and through us into the lives of others as well. It's in that posture of prayer, of submission. And notice the similarity in the story to that story of Jesus. What did Jesus do before he died? He prayed. He submitted himself and he said, not my will, but yours be done, God. And then Peter turned to the dead woman and he said, Tabitha, get up. Literally, the word there in the Greek is rise up. Be risen. You could also translate it. It's exactly the same word that is used to describe how Jesus is risen from the dead. And she opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. I'm guessing Peter was a little surprised at this point. Whoa! <laughs> Lord, you do resurrection, don't you? 
I've never been in that place that Peter has been, literally with somebody who's died, risen up. But I've seen people rise up from the death and brokenness and darkness that is in their lives. And I've seen church communities rise up and be restored and to live again in the way that God has intended for them to live. God says to us, rise up from the death in the power of the Holy Spirit. Not in your power, not in your own strength, but in that humble, from that humble position of prayer, rise up. Rise up. Rise up. And he took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. When somebody is risen from the dead, when they give their life to following Jesus, when they die to their old way of life and being born again, regenerated into a new way of life, what do we do? We don't hit, keep them hidden away. No, no, no. Be quiet. Go away. We don't want anybody to know about that. No, we don't. We say, look, somebody who is dead is alive. A community that was dead is born again, has risen up, has new life in Christ Jesus. Even though there was darkness and brokenness and sin in their life, Lord, you have rebirthed them, repurposed them, restored them. And this became known, it says, all over Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. When Jesus rose from the dead, many believed in the Lord. When we surrender our lives and we're born again and we're presented by the community and say, look, here's somebody who's come alive. Many come to believe. It's, important. it's why testimony is so important. And I want to encourage you as a church community, if you don't do it very much at the moment, to give testimony of how God is rebirthing you, how he's calling you to rise up in different parts of your life and in your community. And then finally we have this, this funny verse at the end of the passage. I don't know if you caught that. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. And you think, Luke, what's that about? Why did you include that in the, at the end of this story where we've seen somebody who was paralysed for eight years start to walk again and a person who was dead come alive again? Surely that's what we need to be talking about that. Surely that's what's important. Well, yeah, it is. But it's important also to notice Luke wants us to understand that Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Now, tanners, that's a smelly job, isn't it? And so at the time, a tanner was an unclean person. Somebody who was kept outside of the town, on the edges, on the margins. They wouldn't have been able to go to the temple to worship because they were unclean. 
And notice where Peter places himself at the margins with the excluded, with the unclean. His posture is that of humility. He says, no, this is not about me. This is about the work of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, bringing healing and life to people. This is not about what I've done, Peter says. This is about what God's done in me, through me, yes, but in the lives of other people. And so we, in our uh, participation in the building of God's kingdom, whether that be through raising people from the dead, or healing people, or doing good and serving the poor, whatever it might be that God has called us and purposed us to do, we need to remember that it is his power through us to bring life to other people. And so our posture is important, that of humility and submission that says, your kingdom come, Lord, your will be done. Shall we pray?